0: morning. The title of this morning's message is Hebrews 11, Faith Demonstrations. This morning we will begin (laughs) to look into chapter 11. This chapter is also known as the Great Hall of Faith. All of chapter 11 is a list of believers in the one true and living God who sought God and believed his word to them and how their steadfast faith Eventually produced extraordinary results. Now, the word eventually <laughs> is probably not our favorite word, <laughs> especially when we're thinking about apprehending what God has promised us. We want it right now, <laughs> we want it to manifest today. <laughs> and it can. Some of us were a little slower <laughs> to get our heart to believe fully in the goodness of our Father. So this word eventually, probably not our favorite word, especially in light of the very first word of Hebrews 11.1, which is now. (laughs) Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is very common for teachers and preachers to refer to this word now in this sentence, as indicating a present period of time, as in right now. But that's really not the understanding (laughs) of how this word is used in this sentence. It's okay for us to use this word as a reminder that faith is a present reality of belief in what God has said. However, the word now is actually just used as a way to join what the author is going to say with what has just been said. (laughs) So we will look briefly at what has just been said. Beginning in chapter 10, verse 32. I have it for you in King James. But call to remembrance the former days, in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. That would be Jesus. (laughs) Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which is best understood as boldness and assurance which hath great recompense of reward. Steadfast faith will not fail to apprehend what God has promised, but they must continue in faith in order to apprehend the promise. And that was especially true for these Hebrew baby believers. There was an escape coming. They couldn't make it happen today. (laughs) They had to wait on God's timing. But in order to actually partake in this great escape, they had to keep believing on Jesus, what his cross accomplished. Verse 36, for ye have need of patience. And actually, if you look up that word need, it means to employ, to put something to work. (laughs) He says you need to put your patience to work. (laughs) Patience is not of self-effort. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I have the Strong's Concordance definition for you. It's the Greek word hupomune, and the definition is cheerful. Don't you like that one? Cheerful and hopeful endurance. (laughs) It includes the idea of constancy. Not only are you cheerful, <laughs> but you are constantly <laughs> cheerful. <laughs> you are doing this in confident expectation of what God has promised. Because you know the promise is more sure than what we feel. And the truth is, nobody's flesh likes waiting <laughs> we want God to get out that magic wand <laughs> and wave it over all of the people that we <laughs> he doesn't do it though <laughs> this free will thing it's messing stuff up <laughs> we have such good ideas <laughs> get him, Jesus get him. <laughs> But, especially our Hebrew baby believers, because they were in such severe persecution, it seems almost ridiculous to tell them. You need to employ your cheerful endurance, your hopeful expectation that God is at work on your behalf, even if you cannot see it. Because he is working, even if you cannot see it. (laughs) So we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to cheerfully continue to live by faith in our Jesus, even in the midst of great persecution and hardship. And really the only way you can do it is to keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't look at your surroundings, look at your circumstances, and evaluate what God is doing. Because he's always working, even if we can't see it. Verse 37 For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. This is a quote from the book of Habakkuk. And this is God telling Habakkuk that the king of Babylon would eventually come and overtake and destroy Jerusalem because the kingdom of Judah was going to reap the judgment that she was deserving of because she had completely forsaken her covenant with God. So technically, For these Hebrew baby believers, this refers to the Roman emperor. People want to turn this into a a scripture about Jesus. He's going to come. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's going to come. But this is not about Jesus coming. This is about judgment coming. And who's going to be responsible for that judgment? (laughs) Not Jesus. (laughs) The Roman emperor. (laughs) Verse 38. Now the just shall live or stay alive <laughs> by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure with him. This is also quoted from Habakkuk. It is God's response about God preserving those that who were still righteous. Because if judgment is coming on everybody, what about the righteous? That wouldn't be so right, God. <laughs> this is his response. No, no, the righteous? will stay alive because of their faith. Because they look to me, because they continue to be faithful, God will make a way for them to stay alive. It's not based on them, it's based on him. So those who are righteous will stay alive and avoid the destruction simply because of their faith, their trust in the one true and living God and his word. Our faith is always based on God's faithfulness to his word, to his promises. It is God's character that we trust in. Because we know he cannot lie, because we know he's only right, because we know that he is love, because of all that, we can trust who he is. He can't lie. He can't deceive. And he doesn't want to. So we can have full confidence That what God promises, God does. He brings it to pass. So God told Habakkuk that the righteous would escape the coming judgment because of their faith in him. And that's exactly what he had promised these Hebrew baby believers to. The author did this on purpose. These people know about Habakkuk. (laughs) They know he was expecting the judgment of Jerusalem even back then, and he had to wait. He had to put up with the hardship. He had to cheerfully endure, all the while knowing my God is working this all out. I am going to be safe. I am going to be blessed. I'm not going to reap a judgment that doesn't belong to me. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews wants his baby believers to believe (laughs) because it didn't look so good for them right then. (laughs) These Hebrew baby believers had to trust God in Christ, which was different than the Old Testament believers. They believed in the one true and living God. And the Jews believed in the one true and living God. And then Jesus came and kind of messed things up (laughs) for their understanding. He actually came and straightened everything out. (laughs) But it was hard for them to transfer their understanding of covenant and their part in it from what they had to do in their mind to be righteous and what Jesus has done and how we are made righteous. And it's a whole different kind of righteousness. Verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back. And that actually means to cower in fear. Draw back unto perdition, which simply means destruction. It's not a threat of hell. (laughs) just means destruction is coming and you can partake of that if you would like, but you don't have to. But of them that believe or have faith, that's what it means to the saving of the soul. The word saving has nothing to do with salvation. The word is not based on sozo, and it's not based on soteria. It's based on a word for preservation. It specifically means preservation, for the preservation of the soul. The soul does not refer to our our spiritual salvation. It refers to our physical life. (laughs) You'll hear people on TV say, eight souls were lost at sea. Well, they weren't talking about their spiritual condition. (laughs) It is an old English way of understanding your physical life. The author here confidently declares that those he's writing to would not cower in fear and end up destroyed. But they would be like Habakkuk, righteous and full of faith in the word of God. And they would escape the coming judgment and be preserved alive through it all. All they had to do, though, was keep believing. (laughs) Keep placing their faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ the Son. And in order to encourage his readers that they could and should continue to live their life by faith in God and his word, the author provides them with examples of Old Testament believers who also demonstrated their faith in God even in the midst of hardship and struggle. And by doing so, they changed their lives and their futures, which is exactly what the author wants for his reader. He wants them to change their lives and their future from one of judgment and death to one of freedom and safety. How? by continuing to place their faith in Jesus's once-for-all sacrifice and his word to them. So the author begins with a definition in Hebrews 11.1 of what faith is. I have it for you in the Amplified. I like the Amplified because it's really good at amplifying. (laughs) I don't have to explain quite so much. (laughs) Beginning with verse 1. Now, (laughs) faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, things divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced, by the physical senses. Faith always involves not being able to see <laughs> with our physical eyes. <laughs> we can't see what God has promised because then we wouldn't need faith. <laughs> we go, there it is, I see it, done. <laughs> no faith involved. <laughs> so we don't have a problem with believing in stuff we can see in the natural realm. It's easy to believe the visible, but it takes divine revelation to believe in the reality of what we cannot see with our physical eyes. The divine revelation is a work of the Holy Spirit within us. So faith is not something we can manufacture through self-effort. It's what God does in us. And we can see this truth in this definition of faith I have for you from the HELPS online word study. The root word, which is faith, pistis, comes from pitho, and it simply means to persuade, to be persuaded, which supplies the core meaning of faith, divine persuasion. It is God's warranty that guarantees the fulfillment of the revelation that he births within a receptive believer. In other words, when God says to someone, I promise this is going to come to pass, he reveals that to us in such a way that we believe him. And when we believe him, what we're saying is, I know what you said is absolutely going to come to pass because you're the one who said it. (laughs) <laughs> and you cannot lie, and I can trust you implicitly. Faith says, what I hear God say is more real than what I see around me. This is really important when it comes to healing. <laughs> you have healing in you. <laughs> the healer lives inside. It doesn't mean it automatically manifests. <laughs> we want that magic wand, Jesus. <laughs> but how do we manifest? We have to believe we already have it. And healing is a process. We get better and better and better and better. and better. But we don't like that. We want miracles today (laughs) and we do however (laughs) sometimes it's a process (laughs) but what do you got to do to apprehend the full healing keep believing know that what God promised and, and promises is more real than what I can feel he trumps what I feel He's more real than what I feel. That's what faith does for us. It makes us so convinced of the reality of what we can't see. Nothing can persuade us otherwise. Once we have that divine persuasion, these Hebrew baby believers, he told them, you started out real good. (laughs) but then you became dull of hearing. (laughs) You were ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You were going back to listening to Moses. Their persuasion waned, and it affected their choices. It didn't affect their salvation. So faith is what happens to us when God reveals his truth and his will to us which is exactly what the book of Hebrews was designed to do. To persuade the Hebrew baby believers to trust in Jesus alone and to convince them to continue to stay faithful to Jesus alone while God worked in and through them in order to take them into their good future of freedom and safety. Verse 2. For by this kind of faith, the men of old gained divine approval. In other words, God testified to their faithfulness. (laughs) What kind of faith was this? Steadfast faith. (laughs) Enduring faith. Faith that continually looks to God and hears him speak. Our God is a talking God. A few weeks ago, Mark and I were getting ready to leave to come to church. And I had this thought. You should probably empty your cups. <laughs> Could I have two cold cups. I have a smoothie in one and water in the other. The one I usually have has a screw on top. That's the one I usually bring to church. And then my smoothie, I keep that in, in the one that just pops the top off. So I had this thought. You should probably take the time and switch those out. And I thought, I don't have time for that. God knows better (laughs) so I get to church and in the middle of Mark's message I pick up my water and poof ice cubes and water everywhere (laughs) And he's like how's that working for you (laughs) God is a talking God And he cares about everything, even flying water and ice cubes. He cares about everything in our life. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too insignificant. He wants to walk you through your life by his voice, by his leading, because he's talkative. He talks to us in our thoughts. That was just a thought that I had. hmm, (laughs) was it just a thought that I had? Or was it God saying, you really ought to change those (laughs) cups around? (laughs) It was God. I love when he does that because it just reminds me how easily we actually all hear him. But usually we just think it's our thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) And they're actually his. (laughs) So our God is a talking God and he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit and by his written word. This is where sometimes people get into trouble is they believe that God has said something but it doesn't line up with scripture. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They end up believing things that aren't true because they heard a voice, they heard a thought, they thought it was God but they didn't distinguish if it came from a source of love. A lot of times, people get angry, or they get their feelings hurt, or whatever, and they think bad thoughts (laughs) about people, and they think it's God giving them the bad thoughts. You should take that person to court. You should tell everybody you know how horrible they are. And they really believe that they're following the voice of God, when in actuality, they haven't learned to distinguish between the voice of the flesh which is mean and nasty, (laughs) and the voice of the Spirit, which is always kind and merciful and (laughs) long-suffering. Verse 3, by faith, that is, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. Again, we're putting our faith, our trust, in a who, not just what he said. We understand that the worlds, the universe, and the ages were framed and created, formed, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the word, the rhema, the spoken word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And of course, science verifies this. I love that. (laughs) Scientists say, at one point in history, there was nothing. There was nothing that existed. And then poof, everything existed. They call it the Big Bang. We call it God. (laughs) They don't want to talk about how everything could suddenly appear out of nothing. And they know that its source, this Big Bang, came from outside the known universe. Again. God. (laughs) So we understand that the worlds and the universe and the ages were framed and created, formed, put in order, and equipped for their intended purpose by the spoken word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, the Hebrew baby believers knew the Old Testament, forward and backwards, so they were already convinced that God created everything by speaking it into being. So the idea of believing that God creates through his spoken word was not a new concept for them. But believing that God made everything didn't come from seeing God make everything. (laughs) But by trusting in the validity of the word of God in the book of Genesis. Their faith came from what God had written and prepared for them to believe. So the author uses the truth What they already believe to help persuade them that God still creates and orchestrates through His spoken word. And all they really need to do is let the truth of God's word regarding Jesus fully persuade their hearts so that they can rest from trying to save themselves, both spiritually and physically. Because it's only when the Holy Spirit persuades our heart of the truth that we enter into the rest. And the rest comes when we know that we know that we know that our Father is at work in us and on our behalf, and we entrust ourselves to his power and his wisdom and his goodness. One of the things I like about the Amplified Version of this verse is that it brings out the truth that our faith is always in the truth of who God is and what he's really like, what he's really like not what people have made him to look like. If we think God is far away and hard to please, or that he's always mad at us for our mistakes and failures, then we will have a hard time trusting him. We don't trust people we think are mad at us. (laughs) We just don't. (laughs) We have a hard time apprehending the promises, believing that God will bring what he promises to pass. But if we believe that he is the creator and designer of the world and that he spoke everything into being, then we know that what God speaks to us today has the ability to change our hearts and to propel us by faith into the good future that our Father has planned for us. We can also see that from the beginning of time, faith and trust has always been what God desired for man. Because God knows we won't cuddle up to somebody we don't trust. (laughs) Why were they hiding (laughs) Adam and Eve? Because they didn't trust that he was good. They thought he was going to be mad at them. (laughs) And God has always wanted mankind to cuddle up close to him and to experience his love and his power and his wisdom and his goodness. But there's only one way for us to be able to experience God and his goodness. And that's through faith and trust. Faith is being fully persuaded of the truth of God. You cannot talk me out of heaven. You could talk forever. Not going to change my mind one bit. I know in whom I have believed. So nothing can change my mind. I am persuaded. <laughs> now, the next step is trust. You see, biblical faith includes the idea of trust. So faith is being. Fully persuaded of a truth of God by God. And trust is acting on that truth. Remember when Peter got out of the boat? (laughs) He was afraid. He was trying to, to keep from drowning and dying. He sees Jesus. They think he's a ghost. And he says, don't worry. It's just me. And then Peter, all of a sudden, changes his whole reference point. He's trying to stay alive. And all of a sudden, he's like, I could do that too. (laughs) If you tell me I can, I can. So Jesus says, come. That was faith. He was fully persuaded that he could get out of that boat. But he didn't trust him until he got out of the boat. See, trust acts on what we believe is true. Faith will produce feet for your faith. Faith will lead us to action. Like when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit starts to convince us that we're a sinner <laughs> and that we need a savior. And then we believe that if, if we could ask Jesus for this salvation, he'll actually give it to us. Faith, being persuaded, leads us to trust. And so we trust him to save us. So, Biblical faith always includes this idea of trust. We sometimes lose that association. When we trust, when we believe, there will be a corresponding action of some sort. Now, for them, the corresponding action was, you got to (laughs) wait. You got to wait, and you got to keep believing. Faith is not just a matter of what's in our head. It's about what we believe in our heart. And once our heart is fully persuaded of the truth, we can and will act on that truth. And for the Hebrew baby believers, God was asking them to believe the truth about Jesus and his once for all sacrifice that provides them with an everlasting righteousness by faith alone. Once the Holy Spirit persuaded them of that truth, they weren't fully persuaded. They were saved, but they weren't fully persuaded that they could trust Jesus. And just Jesus. (laughs) So they were going, sneaking off the temple and bringing lambs. Because they didn't believe that Jesus was enough, their unbelief showed in what they were doing. So it is with our faith. Our faith will show in what we're doing. They were running off the temple to try to get more forgiveness that they didn't need. (laughs) But they had to be willing to let the Holy Spirit persuade them of this truth. Because right believing really does lead to right doing and that's because faith believing the truth of of who god is and and what he has said empowers us to act on what god has said in other words faith in our heart produces action in our feet which is exactly what the writer of hebrews is trying to demonstrate through the examples he provides of faithful old testament believers right believing always led to right doing. Once the Hebrew baby believers could see and believe the complete truth of who Jesus really is and the complete truth about all he has accomplished through the cross, they wouldn't be able to continue to take lambs. See, right believing would change what they were doing. Once they were fully persuaded that Jesus was enough, then nothing would be able to convince them to act contrary to that because their own hearts would condemn them. they go, I don't need this, <laughs> I've got Jesus. I don't need another offering, I've got Jesus. I don't need to be afraid, I've got Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus is God, I don't need to be afraid. <laughs> okay, and this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews wants his letter to accomplish. He wants them to be fully persuaded of the truth of Jesus so that they can act on that truth and change their choices and their futures. Verse 4, by faith, I inserted the same definition from before, with an inherent trust and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which it was testified of him that he was righteous, upright, and right standing with God. And God testified by accepting his gifts. Probably God devoured the gift, (laughs) and that's how he knew it was acceptable. (laughs) And though he died, yet through this act of faith, he still speaks. This verse is a short version of the story found in Genesis chapter 4. I have it for you, beginning with verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. I hate when my face falls. (laughs) Now, in the original story, we don't see why one offering is more acceptable than the other. Why one was accepted by God and one wasn't. Many have tried to impose the truth, the Mosaic Law, onto this story, saying that the blood sacrifice was for the forgiveness of sins. So that's why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. And Cain's wasn't because it didn't contain blood. You can't get blood from a turnip. (laughs) But these men were not under the Mosaic law. And we have no evidence that God told them what kind of offering to bring. And nothing is said about it having to do with anything to do with sin. But what we do see is that each man brought an offering out of the fruit of his labor. Abel was a shepherd, so he brought a lamb or a goat. And Cain was a farmer, so he brought vegetables. Each offering came from what was produced by their labor. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with Cain bringing vegetables. But (laughs) the problem may have been in which vegetables he chose to bring. Because it appears that the vegetables he brought to God did not demonstrate faith and trust in God. So we have to ask the question, which vegetables (laughs) given as an offering to God would demonstrate faith? And the answer is first fruits. Now remember, this is written to Jewish people who know all these rules. (laughs) Now again, Cain and Abel were not under the Mosaic law. So they weren't required to bring God their first fruits. But the first fruits of a crop were the first to come to maturity and to be harvested while the remaining crop was still in the process of growing. So giving God the first vegetables to be harvested would have demonstrated that he was trusting God to bless and increase the rest of the crop and that he would not have been afraid or reluctant to give God whatever he asked for. But it appears that whatever vegetables King did bring, he didn't bring them in an attitude of gratitude or in faith. When I learned tithing, we're not under the law of tithing, but God really used it to show me how to operate in faith. You see, I found out pretty quickly (laughs) tithing did not work by magic. (laughs) Tithing was not a magic wand to make money come in. (laughs) Many people teach that it is. Tithing is just a demonstration that I believe God is my source. That's all it is. It's me acting on what I believe. So when God taught me giving, it was I am giving to the Lord. And I will give what he tells me to give. Okay, that's still the rule. (laughs) 1 Corinthians, whatever you determine in your heart, that's what you should give. I like to tell people about tithing because I've seen how God uses it. We're not under any kind of law to tithe. But the tithe is kind of like God saying, would you like to trust me? Because nothing in your flesh wants to give God money. (laughs) Your little brain will say, we can't afford to give that to God. (laughs) Are you crazy? (laughs) But see, we know who our source is. Tithing is not a magic wand and it will not make you a millionaire. But It was an opportunity for me to operate in faith by giving God my tithe. It was a test. Can I believe that God will take care of me if I give him 10%? (laughs) I like what Andrew Womack says. Start with 2%. Can I trust God with 2%? That he will still meet all my needs. And then after you see that God is faithful, can I trust God with 3%? <laughs> you see, it's about us stretching our faith. That's all it's about. It's us demonstrating to God that we trust Him more than we trust ourselves and our ability to provide for ourselves. Giving God the first vegetables to be harvested would have demonstrated that Cain was trusting God to bless and increase the rest of the crop. But it appears that whatever vegetables He did bring, <laughs> it may have just been stored leftover grain. <laughs> he wasn't going to miss it. <laughs> we don't know. All we do know from Hebrews is that he didn't come with faith. He didn't trust what he was giving into God's care. He wasn't believing. If you know God and he shows up and talks to you, you'd think you'd be able to trust him. Cain wasn't there. He wasn't trusting God. Now, this may be just speculation, but the Genesis accounts does bring up the fact that Abel's offering was of the firstborn of his flock. See, he could have left that out if this had no bearing. <laughs> <laughs> Moses wrote it for the nation of Israel. So when the Hebrew baby believers would have read this, they too would have probably guessed that Gain's offering was not from the firstfruits, and therefore it did not demonstrate faith and trust in god's goodness but abel's offering did demonstrate faith and trust and gratitude because it was the first of his flock and the same principle applied giving god the firstborn was evidence that he believed god would bless and increase the rest of the flock he's like i can do this because i know you you bless and increase and multiply everything so here you want my first no problem why He knew who he was trusting. He knew who he was trusting. His faith and trust in God determined the kind of offering he brought to the Lord. And it was his faith and trust in God that pleased God, not the offering. (laughs) The offering just demonstrated that he was trusting God. And God counted him as righteous by faith. In fact, righteousness by faith has always been God's plan, even under the law, which is what Israel didn't get. When Israel brought their lambs to the temple, they were supposed to believe that God transferred their guilt onto the animal and that the animal bore their sins into death. But if they brought their sacrifices without any actual faith or trust in God, then forgiveness didn't actually take place. (laughs) Forgiveness was always only available through faith. And their sacrifices were supposed to be demonstrations of their faith and trust in God to remove their sin. That's why God was pleased with Abel's offering. It was actually a demonstration of his faith and trust in God, and his faith still speaks today by example. It was about him trusting God, not about the offering. (laughs) He was counted as righteous, just like Abraham was, by faith and trust in God. And that faith revealed itself by his choice of offering. From what we can tell, God didn't tell them what to bring. It was up to them. This example should really speak to the Hebrew baby believers who were still tempted to go back into Judaism and temple worship. Their choice to either stay or go would be determined by their faith and trust in Christ. If they let God convince them of the truth, of the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, then their trust in Jesus would lead them to make the only choice that would please God, the choice to remain faithful to Christ, which would be demonstrated by not going back into Judaism. Now, all faith and trust comes from God revealing himself and his truths to us. And the more we seek him, the more he reveals himself and his truths to us. And the more that he reveals himself to us, the more we are able to enter into the rest Of faith. And our next character didn't just enter into the rest of faith. He entered into the rest of heaven. (laughs) He jumps from Abel over into Enoch, verse 5. By faith, faith that pleased God, Enoch was caught up and taken to heaven so that he would not have a glimpse of death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For even before he was taken to heaven, he received the testimony, still on record, in other words, written in the Old Testament, that he had walked with God and pleased him. Enoch walked with God for over 300 years. God took him at the age of 365. We don't know much about Enoch, (laughs) except that he lived in constant relationship and communication with God. He believed and trusted whatever God communicated to him, and that's what pleased God. God loves for us to know him and to believe him and to trust him because then he can give us everything our heart desires. It's only through faith. And Enoch chose to live and stay alive (laughs) simply by believing and trusting God. God was so happy with him that he basically raptured Enoch and took him to heaven without going through death. Also, it appears that God gave Enoch a divine revelation regarding the coming judgment upon the earth. Again, we have a character who was foreseeing judgment. It wasn't just Jerusalem this time, it was the whole world. (laughs) The whole world was a wreck. (laughs) Now, the only way we know that God revealed this thing to Enoch is by translating what Enoch named the son he had when he was 65 years old. He named him Methuselah, which can be translated, when he is dead, it shall come. Or it can also be translated, his death shall bring judgment. And of course, this is exactly what happened. After Methuselah died, at 969 years later, the flood happened. So God must have revealed this truth to Enoch. Because Enoch turned his son's name into a trumpet sound that constantly warned everyone that judgment was going to come when he died. (laughs) Pay attention, people. (laughs) So the testimony of this man's life of faith should encourage the Hebrew baby believers to continue to have faith and trust in God and in Jesus on a daily basis. Because Enoch's faith is an example of how his trust in God allowed him to stay alive supernaturally without dying, and avoid the coming judgment. Which is the same thing the Hebrew baby believers were wanting to do, and could do, simply by continuing to believe the truths presented in the book of Hebrews, and by steadfastly trusting in the words of Christ and in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Verse six. But without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. I like that the Amplified Version adds the words to walk with God and please him. Because this connects the faith walk of Enoch with the faith walk of the Hebrew baby believers, which I think was the intent of the author. I think the author wants these Hebrew baby believers to connect the dots, (laughs) to see the similarities of their situations with these Old Testament heroes of faith. I think he wants them to come to the conclusion that they were made right with God the same way Abel was made right with God, by faith and trust in God and his word to them. Abel was not made right with God because of his offering. His offering simply demonstrated the faith and trust he already had in his heart. And I think the author is hoping to inspire his readers to look at their relationship with the Father and Jesus as an opportunity to live a supernatural life in daily communion with them the same way Enoch did. And Enoch wasn't even born again. (laughs) But yet he walked with God daily. (laughs) God is happy to reveal his will to us so that by faith and trust we can enter into the future that he has planned for us. The Hebrew baby believers didn't have to try to make faith. Have you been there? Have you tried to make faith? You can't. (laughs) Only God can. Faith is simply being persuaded by God that the truth is the truth. The Hebrew baby believers didn't have to try to make faith. All they had to do is let the Holy Spirit convince them of the truth of the new covenant. God is the only one who can produce faith in the heart of a believer. Faith is a grace, a divine enablement, a free gift by God working in and through us by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is always leading us into all truth if we let him. And God's favorite way to lead us into all truth is the same way the author of Hebrews has been trying to do with his readers. And that's by pointing them to the scriptures. Only God's word and God's spirit have the ability to persuade our hearts to believe what God says is true, especially when our physical circumstance or our emotional feelings are telling us something completely different. Again, verse six, but without faith is impossible to walk with God and please him. He loves for us to trust him. For whoever comes near to God that's us. <laughs> we march right into his throne room. And we do that because we believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. And the word seek would probably be better translated as investigate, to search out, to research. If we have an area of our life where, like, I can't believe for this one thing right here, maybe it's healing. That people have told me, absolutely not, God doesn't heal. Um, Let's go to the word (laughs) because Jesus is the word and that's all he did. (laughs) Jesus never made anybody sick. So it is about going to the word and letting the word convince our heart and take out those lies that other people have sown into our hearts. That's why we must investigate. We must discover. We must research and let the Holy Spirit reveal the truth to our heart. He's the only one who can. So what does God reward these diligent seekers with? Himself. And the truth about who and what he is and who and what we are. He always wants us to look to him and to receive of his goodness and kindness and mercy and love and wisdom and power and all the good things of the kingdom. (laughs) It's all available for us by faith. So if we're struggling to believe, The word is where we go because the Holy Spirit will use the word to convince us. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. You are pleased when we believe you. Sometimes we're not very good at believing you, (laughs) but you delight to show us that we hear. You delight to show us that you are at work. You delight to reveal the truth of what we are trying to achieve. You are always at work in us to cause us to know you better and to hear you better. Because we hear you and sometimes we don't recognize it's you. But Father God, you delight to show us that we hear you so easy and sometimes we skip right over not realizing it was you. Father God, I thank you that you're never mad at us when we fall short. You're never mad at us when we didn't pay attention. You're never mad at us. You're always showing us it's okay. But you hear, child. You hear. You do have faith. I have given it to you. And I am in the process of persuading you to believe and to receive everything I've promised in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. THE CORNERSTONE SCRIPTURE FOR TRIUMPHANT GRACE MINISTRIES IS FOUND IN HEBREWS CHAPTER 10 IN VERSE 14. FOR BY ONE SACRIFICE HE HAS MADE PERFECT FOREVER THOSE WHO ARE BEING MADE HOLY. GREAT GRACE, SUCH GRACE, TRIUMPHANT GRACE TO YOU. GOD BLESS YOU.